5: Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp
4: mind, strong voice, Buck Sexton.
0: Buck Sexton here with you all, team. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you with me in the Freedom Hut. I'm coming to you live from the uh, West Coast outpost of the Freedom Hut. I'm here in Los Angeles for a few days, so... I do understand why people grow so fond of this place so quickly. Everything about it seems pretty fantastic, except for the traffic, which is as advertised. But the uh, the rest of it is pretty great. The weather is really lovely. The politics, I don't know, because I don't talk to people on the street about politics much. But perhaps if I did, I'd, well, what, run back to Manhattan? It's even worse there. So I've got to visit some parts of the country where people actually believe insane sane constitutional governance. But nonetheless, lovely place, lovely place. Uh, we have a, a packed show uh, today. And if you do want to call us, please, please, by all means, 888-900-BUCK, 888-900-2825. Uh, give us a ring. We will be taking calls. Just to give you a sense of where we're going here, I'm I'm going to be talking to you in just a second about what's going on with Trump, the Democrats, the Republicans this week. Because I'm seeing the matrix now. It was a, I was a little fuzzy the day of with what are all the angles here. But I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I had a nice cramped flight in coach to just sit there and ponder all things Trump. You know, had the, uh, the, the seat back getting kicked repeatedly. People dropping the tray in front of me and everything. You know, all that stuff. So you get to think about politics when that's happening. Because that's, that's my happy place. My safe space, if you will. Thinking about politics on a plane going 500 miles an hour. Cramped in there like a sardine. Uh, but I'll get to that in a moment. We also will discuss the Betsy DeVos Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, ending the weaponized era of Title IX. Essentially, Betsy Voss gave a speech today in which she made it clear that no longer will the Department of Education embrace a policy that dispenses almost in, almost entirely with due process procedures on criminal matters, not in criminal proceedings, but on issues of criminal conduct. We'll get there. That's going to be a very worthwhile discussion, I assure you. And also Democrats bringing a religious test to office now pretty explicitly, pretty clearly. Can you be a believing religious Christian, a believing religious Catholic? Not a not a Catholic a la carte, not a cafeteria Catholic or a uh, pay as- you go Christian, but somebody who believes in the doctrine, does that mean that you can't be a federal judge? We'll get there. Diane Feinstein has some words on that. And uh, certainly some updates and some expertise via a guest in just a bit on the massive, monstrous, jaw-dropping hurricane that has already devastated, a number of small islands in the Caribbean and is making its way uh, towards Florida and is expected to make landfall within a couple of days. We'll give you some uh, some insight and expertise on that coming up in just a bit. So, as I was saying, and, and maybe then if I have time and I don't know, these might get left on the cutting room floor of the Freedom Hut for today. Uh, we might have to discuss. We might have time to discuss. Vladimir Putin saying we shouldn't be playing along with Kim Jong-un's game in North Korea. I had written earlier this week for the com on how we need to start approaching North Korea from the perspective of at least the possibility that they really do want a war, just not yet. That this isn't all bluffing and saber-rattling, that it is preparation for a war that they think is coming. And that that piece has certainly gotten a a lot of attention and people talking about, wow, that's a that's a, a different approach than what you usually hear on it, which is just how do we get North Korea to play nice? What how can we buy them up? How can we give them the carrots and sticks approach of diplomacy 101? Well, we'll get to that if we as I said, if we have time. First, Trump, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what happened here. Uh, oh, and if I can t- uh, take some time to take apart the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center later on in the show, I will. I, am, I am, have been a longstanding, not just critic, but I, I think the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, work, especially when it comes to conservatives and the defamation of conservatism, it's a disgrace. But like I said, we'll get there. Let's just take a step back from the latest machinations in D.C. To, to set the table before we eat the meal. Donald Trump is supposed to be a different kind of politician. He is a different kind of politician. We know that. Donald Trump was brought in by his supporters. If you uh, listen to them, if you, in the uh, brilliant analysis of uh, Selena Zito from the, uh, well, she's a CNN commentator. I forget who she writes for these days, Uh, that if you took Trump seriously, but not literally, uh, you would know that he was coming into D.C. without Pretending to bow and scrape and do all the uh, glad handing and pats on the back that are expected from a beltway operator. Somebody who knows the D.C. game and plays it well. No, Trump was supposed to come in and not just shake things up, but flip it upside down to disrupt, to be not just different, but to be a disruptor. And part of disruption is at least temporary destruction. He's going to cause problems. There will be waves, and those waves will not be uh, pleasant for a lot of folks who are used to doing business in D.C. a certain way. Now, what's happened is, as you you may have already heard this part of it, there's a deal that has been struck between, well, there was struck between Donald Trump and Democrats, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Now that, on its face, is troubling because Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are classic Democrat power brokers without much in the way of scruples or principles, uh, but they are progressives, they are leftists, and Trump was willing to go with them on this issue. And at first, it gave me a lot of pause. I had said a few weeks ago, there won't be a fight over the debt ceiling. There won't be a fight over the debt ceiling because... uh, they don't care enough. Congress doesn't care enough about the wall to fight for it right now, and that was true. But I suppose that from the conservative perspective on this issue, which I, I try to I try to take as a as a conservative, you don't hear people referring to them as much as conservatives anymore these days, do you? Some people do, but now it it seems to be in flux. The definitions are changing before our very eyes. But Trump didn't do what the conservative option would have been here if he was to uh, really make a point on the debt, really make a point on building a wall. He should have been pushing along with the GOP Congress for something, some part of the deal that would make conservatives happy. We didn't get that. That did not happen. So my first reaction is, well, why? And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. Why, Why go along with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi? Why play the game with them? Well, first, before I tell you the why, let me tell you what Trump said he agreed to. Play clip eight, please.
1: We agreed to a uh, three-month extension on debt ceiling, which they consider to be sacred, very important. Always will agree on debt ceiling uh, automatically because of the importance of it. Also on the CRs uh, and also on Harvey, which now we're going to be adding something because of what's going on in Florida. We have an extension uh, which will go out to December 15th. Uh, That'll include uh, debt ceiling, that'll include the CRs, and it'll include uh, Harvey uh, the amount of money that to be determined but it'll include because everyone is in favor obviously of taking care of that situation so we all very much agree
0: so you have the you have the president laying out what has been agreed to and and understandably a lot of conservatives are not just uh, initially befuddled by this but they were pretty angry Uh, they feel sold out and I I understand that I was looking at this when it first when the news first broke was yesterday and I was thinking to myself, well, how do how do we explain this? I, I also refuse to take a position um, that Donald Trump is just beyond uh, that that because he's not conservative, he's he's beyond salvation as a political figure. And it, it just will somehow help the country. it'll help the conservative cause to sit around and talk about how he's not conservative enough, he's not good enough you know there becomes a holier than thou aspect to conservatism that we have to be on on guard against it, it does happen who can be the most conservative i know i remember people that were very uh very big followings very well thought of couldn't talk enough about how tea party they were you know oh, i'm so so tea party i'm more tea party than the next guy. And you haven't heard them say anything about that in quite a while, have you? You haven't heard them talk about the debt or the deficit in quite a while either. Always be on the lookout for people that are trying to ride the wave and not at least be moored, at least be tied down to some, some basic principles. Um, and I know that that's why people can be, at times, unnerved by Trump, because what does he really stand for? It's not always clear. I'm not going to pretend that it's clear to be, other than disrupt. Change things, cause there to be the possibility of a if you believe the possibility of openings for something else. If you believe that chaos is an opportunity, one of the great uh, truisms, great cliches, depending on who you ask, of all time, Trump is causing a degree of political chaos. I see some of the same people out there who can't say enough nasty things about the sellout Republicans, about the establishment sellout Ryan or the establishment sellout McConnell. Now all of a sudden. Trump goes and strikes a deal and cuts McConnell and, and Ryan out of it. And people are saying, well, look at how terrible this is. Well, well, which is it? Does he need to bring McConnell and Ryan to heel and show that he's going to be the one that's driving the agenda? Or are they sellouts or not? I, I It depends on the day, it feels like, depending on who you listen to on this issue, on a whole bunch of issues. So. Here's what I here's what I didn't initially pick up from this. And I wanted to put this out there. And this is look, there's a lot going on here. Uh, For one thing. You have the Harvey relief effort underway and you have about 55 percent, according to the most recent polling, 55 percent of Americans think that Trump did a pretty good job on Harvey, which when you're looking at Trump and poll numbers, 55 percent is really strong. So. He recognizes that this is a moment, and and you could say this is selfish, but he's the president. If his selfishness allows him to create greater clout on issues that will matter more in a few months, we'll see. I'm not going to—you can't give him a pass forever, right? I don't want to be this—I don't want to be somebody who, if Trump, uh, if Trump loses his re-election bid and hasn't achieved anything that he set out to achieve in the first place other than to annoy the media and be not Hillary, I don't want to be the person who's saying, well, you know, it's— any day now, it's gonna you know he's gonna come over the the hilltop with the reinforcements. No, but there's still time. If Trump consolidating power and consolidating his own political momentum right now is useful for the important issues, is useful for tax reform, is useful uh, useful for border security, then it makes sense to me. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's how I would do it, but it makes sense to me. Also, I think that no matter what you think of Trump's political savvy in terms of how to operate as president and work with the Congress, this is not something that he has any experience with, and clearly he's not doing it the way that the vast majority of folks would want him to, I think, if working with the Congress is supposed to be a major part of his job, which I think we could all agree it is. However, he knows that he can't be Bush. He understands the media. And if you look at what happened to Bush after Hurricane Katrina, There was such a profound assault on the administration, uh, from the media, from the Democrats, all over the place, because of the—it was almost—they made it almost as though Bush were responsible for Katrina. That was how horrific it was. It was like Bush set the whole thing in motion. Trump doesn't just want to have a bipartisan moment of— coming together that, yes, he can capitalize on for political reasons right now. He also wants to make sure he doesn't fall into the Bush trap of getting blamed in any way for what's happening right now. And once you start playing games with relief efforts and the funding for them, you can run into problems very quickly on that score. So if you're looking for the ways that this deal with Schumer and Pelosi made sense, at least to Trump, I think they're there. They're not necessarily obvious, but they're there. We also have to see what happens with this December showdown. It does annoy me that we were told the last time around that there wouldn't be a debt ceiling fight. But keep in mind that they also funded the government for a a year when Republicans finally took back the House and the Senate. So there's a lot of blame to go around on that. All right, we'll get into this. Eight four. uh, I mean, sorry. Eight 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 nine hundred. buck. eight 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 hundred two eight two five. We'll be right back. Stay with me.
5: The president made it really clear. And what he was aiming for uh, in that meeting yesterday was a bipartisan moment while the country is facing two horrible hurricanes. And so what he made clear to us is he didn't want to have, look, personally, I think the debt limit in the credit markets, the longer, the better for the stability of the credit markets. That's my strong opinion. Um, But he was interested in making sure Uh, that this is a bipartisan moment while we respond to these hurricanes. And he made that clear, and I think that's what what his motivation
0: was. So, Trump wanted to avoid a political food fight when the country's recovering from Harvey and bracing itself for Irma. That is what Speaker of the House Paul Ryan had to say about it today. Plausible, certainly. Uh, We'll know more based on what happens if there's another excuse in December and perhaps... I'm now setting myself up to be that guy who sounded naive in September. But if there's another political excuse of some kind in December, then, then we'll know that it's never going to happen. And I think it's also fair to say that it wasn't going to happen because of Congress. It wasn't going to happen with Trump. There was not going to be a shutdown to get through Republican priorities that the Democrats are doing everything they can to stop. So we'll see. Uh, Jessica in Florida, listening on the iHeart app. Hey, Jessica.
6: Hey, Buck. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you for calling in. You are in Florida. Are you, are you in the path of this monster?
6: I am. Um, you actually spoke to my husband yesterday. Um, I'm an active duty Coast Guard stationed in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, we've been making hurricane preps for a few days right now. And, and uh, that's what we got going on around here.
0: Uh, what can you tell us about what you're hearing, in, just in terms of, of, of the ferocity and, and 185 mile per hour uh, mile per hour winds? Also, my my uh my research is uh, my team here tells me that this is much bigger than if they actually look at what how large a hurricane, meaning the actual diameter of say Andrew back in uh, what was the early '90s. This is many. This is m- orders of magnitude larger. It's a much bigger hurricane, from what I understand.
6: Yes, absolutely. Um, the good news being that we've seen it coming for a long time and even when we went out to make our own personal preps last, last Sunday, almost a week ago, um, there were already water shortages and things of that nature. So that to me is a good sign that people are preparing and hopefully um, making the right decisions and doing the right things. Um, here here in Fort Lauderdale for the Coast Guard-wise, we, we set hurricane condition two, which means we expect gale force winds within 24 to 48 hours. And with that, um, the port um, Port Everglades here in Fort Lauderdale, which is a major port, not only cruise ships, petroleum and cargo, um, they've set condition x-ray, which again means that they're expecting coast or gale force winds within forty eight hours. So the port remains open and we're able to get um, fuel and things of that nature. However, that will be coming to a close here shortly.
0: Can I ask and- you are, is it are you expecting you'll have to do? rescues from out at sea I mean do people either just not know or not pay attention and and go out go out on the water even though this is coming?
6: Absolutely I mean the Coast Guard's primary mission is safety of life at sea so we're positioning ourselves to hopefully be able to respond to that but there will inevitably be a time where we will be unable ourselves to to really respond however um, hopefully we've taken the proper steps that we can either come in behind the storm or get out there early enough before the storm hits to help anybody that may still be out there.
0: But so yeah, you're expecting there will there will be some people that are in the unlucky spot of being out there. That's yeah. that's terrifying. Absolutely.
6: Uh, so right now we're just encouraging people to stay off the water, secure their belongings, and evacuate if they get the mandatory order to do so. And also Absolutely.
0: All right, Jessica, thank you for your service and thank you for your call. Massive Hurricane Irma is currently battering uh Turks and Caicos Islands in the Caribbean and making its way uh, towards Florida. In fact, it is believed that Miami Right now, based on the trajectory of this enormous storm, is right in the crosshairs. Uh, What do we know about this, and what are we going to be looking for, and and what should the response, the preparations and the response look like? Uh, We've got Joe Bastardi on the line. He's a meteorologist uh, with Weatherbell. He wrote a piece, Hurricane Irma, a catastrophic event for Florida. Uh, Great to have you, Joe. Uh, uh,
2: Great to be here. I'm uh, not— um, that stumped me. There, I wrote a piece. What? What? When? I'm uh, sorry.
0: No, you're quoted in a piece. Hurricane Irma is a catastrophic event for Florida. Oh,
2: oh, okay, okay. I was just wondering. I didn't see the piece. What I did write back on uh, June 6th, uh, when after the Paris uh, climate accords, I reminded everyone that this season we have uh, we believe that the major uh, hit drought was going to end because of solid meteorological uh, forecasts that we made earlier in the season. And that uh, these people that were screaming and yelling about uh, the situation there, you know, with uh, Miralago, saying, well, now Trump's, Trump's uh, uh, properties are going underwater because of climate change. I reminded them that in the 1940s, Florida got hit by 10 or 11 major hurricanes. And what we're seeing here is the return of the kind of hurricanes. I mean, 1935, the strongest hurricane ever to hit went through the Keys had uh, winds of 210 miles an hour. So I think that people uh, do not understand the hurricane history of Florida. And, of course, while this is a spectacular storm, um, we have seen storms that when they get to Florida are comparable. But I'm amazed at what I'm watching. I, I, it's even beyond what I thought with this, uh, the global warming ilk and the things they're saying. They, they're like, they sit in the bushes and hide for 12 years, and then two major hurricanes show up, they don't predict them before the season. Five days before, they had no idea they were going to develop, and then they come out and tell us all it's global warming. So it's, re- it's really a bad situation as far as that goes, too.
0: Yeah, the politicization is is rampant uh, on this issue. And, and in fact, I've I've seen uh, some people on social media suggesting that now is now is the time to push for the criminalization of climate denial or climate change oh, yeah. denial. Rather, that's it, that's it, that's it, gaining it. traction. While 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 normal Americans are either preparing or hoping, praying, and, and trying to send help and uh, for the hurricane that's about to hit. There are these people out there, these climate zealots, who want to use this moment right now, this this emotionally heightened atmosphere, to push for legislation and, and to push for political action having to do with climate change. So it, it is it's out there, worry. Joe. I know. Be- before this even hits, that's what they're saying.
2: Well, see, what, and what gets me is they didn't predict it. They didn't say uh, – if they're so good at it, if they're so good at it, how come out of the 40 waves that have come off Africa, only seven have actually developed? What's there, a CO2 ferry that goes, poof, I'm going to bestow my magic upon Irma, and she's going to go crazy? How do they not – that's what I can't understand why the American public, anybody in the public, buys, buys these ideas where they make these broad statements – but when the storm is in front of them, the, the very season is in front of them, how come they can't recognize it?
0: In terms of, if I could just ask you, Joe, in terms of the the size, the power, and therefore the expected damage of Irma right now versus what we saw with Harvey, can, can, you, can you tell us what the comparison looks like?
2: Yeah, Harvey was a, a, a relatively, uh, I'm, I don't mean to make light of it, a low-grade Category 4. It was a 7th strongest storm that hit texas there were plenty of stronger storms uh to hit texas but it got stuck uh, and they had tremendous amounts of rain and it was easy to see it wasn't hard to see it coming um this is a different beast this is the uh this is the kind of storm that uh you uh, you, you put it up there with the 1938 hurricane you put it up there with the hurricane donna uh in 1960 uh, and a lot of people don't even know what I'm talking about, which is one of the problems with the whole climate change issue. People don't people don't know what happened before. 1935 in Florida. Go, go Google the 1926 Great Miami Hurricane and take a look at what that did. 1947 in West Palm Beach. And so what happens is I am bringing things up trying to say, how do you put this in perspective? you got to go back and look at storms where – when I looked at the pictures, I said, how could that possibly happen? Trains being blown off their tracks and, and, and entire, entire islands going underwater. And this is the kind of storm that could cut. For instance, if this comes across the Florida Keys, if it moves a little bit further west than uh, the projected track right now, it's going to cut off the Florida Keys. There's going to be a 20-foot wall of water plus waves to 40 feet. And, and people... People go, how can that happen? Well, it's happened before, and it may happen again. So it, 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 I, I, can't, I can't over uh, stress how bad this is. Now, as far as it covers the state of Texas, it's Cloud Shield does. The worst part of the storm is within uh, maybe 75 miles to the west and 150 miles to the east. That's a big, big hurricane. There's no question about that. But what I'm looking at, and I always put these things in perspective, in the perspective of history, this is going to go down as one of the uh, more destructive storms ever to hit the United States. Um, and uh, it's in the top five, I'll tell you I mean, that. from
0: what we've seen already, Joe, based on – we're speaking to Joe Bastardi. He's a meteorologist, at uh, and he's with Weather Uh, some of these smaller islands, I know that the home construction on them is not necessarily, you know, what would be they're literally up to code in the United States. But 185 mile an hour wind, that's going to do a lot of damage even to a really well built home.
2: Oh, yeah, I I guess.
0: I mean, this this, is like ripping roofs off, right? This is this is that level uh, of storm. Yeah.
2: Well, the other thing is, you know, I don't know what these uh, skyscrapers in Miami are tested for. We're not going to knock over a skyscraper, but. What may happen is the pressure, may uh, the pressure, the force of the wind going by may pull all the glass out of it. That's what happened in Houston during Ike, and it happened in uh, uh, Alicia. It just all the skyscrapers got the a lot of the uh, glass ripped out of them. Um, it is fortunate that this missed Puerto Rico to the north. Uh, and, uh, of course, and it, it's interesting in that the uh, prime minister of Arbuda today said it looked like a bomb hit his island. We actually had a talk about that in the office back on Monday, and I said, you know, I, I I did not want to describe it that way before because I think that gets a little bit uh, uh, over the top, but that's exactly what this is like, where it hits directly. It's going through the, uh, the Turks and Caicos now, and these people are just going to get just blasted. So um, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very serious situation.
0: And uh, Joe, what happens, for those who are, who are listening who, who don't have a background in, in meteorology like you do. So the hurricane makes landfall, how far h- how far can it go before it dissipates and how much of the rest of the country can be affected by a storm system of this size? I mean, you know, I- I'm going to be back in New York next week. I mean, wh- how far do the effects go?
2: Uh, it's not going to affect New York. So you don't have to worry about that. No, no, I know so the hurricane's
0: not going to affect New York, but I'm wondering how how far I mean Savannah's being uh, well, yeah. Yeah, just... yeah,
2: well, the, the, the track is crucial in that if it comes up the east coast of Florida and stays close to the water or back, gets back out over the water, it's going to be as strong as you'll ever see hitting the Carolinas, too. But there's a chance it actually just stays over land. And, uh, and if that's the case, the, the state of Florida gets devastated. This goes straight up the middle, but it weakens as it's coming northward. So that you why does it weaken?
0: I mean, I, I think that's part of this. You know, wh- why wh- what happens to it, and once it makes landfall,
2: well, what happens is the the source of energy in a tropical cyclone is the warm ocean. You cut the feed out from underneath it; it's going to it's going to start to die. And the stronger the system is, the quicker it dies relative to its strength. I I, I compare uh, compare storms like this to a nine one sprinter. You tweak the ham the hamstring, he's no longer a nine one sprinter. Well. The fact of the matter is that as soon as any disruption takes place in the storm, the storm begins to weaken. And if you put it over land, if, if you've got a situation where the, uh, the conditions to make it intensify were such that you needed the water temperature, at 85, 88 degrees, and you bring it over land and temperatures of in the 70s because it's raining – and the land the land doesn't supply any more energy to the storm, the storm weakens uh, quite quickly but will still pack a huge punch even as it moves northward.
0: Joe Bastardi is a meteorologist. Check out his work at uh, Weatherbell And, uh, Joe, any, any words that you just want to say? we got a lot of folks in Florida listening to this show. Anything you want to tell them that they might not already know or that you just want to remind them of? Well,
2: they have to, they, they have to uh, be absolutely uh, – they have to pay attention – to what's going on here and this is a serious situation and i would i would advise them to go google those storms uh, Donna and naples uh, for instance the 1926 miami hurricane 1947 west palm beach and the 1935 labor day hurricane if you don't believe what these storms can do i'd like you you know years and years ago before co2 took off right co2 is the cause of this right well years and years ago before that was the fancy argument go look at what those storms did and if you're in the path of this storm if that doesn't scare the daylights out of you nothing will
0: all right joe thanks so much joe bastardi everybody uh team we're going to run to a break here we'll come back and talk about uh, daca title nine feinstein and her religious test for a judicial nominee and and much much more
1: prior to leaving the white house i had a great bipartisan meeting with democrat and republican leaders in congress And I'm committed to working with both parties to deliver for our wonderful, wonderful citizens. It's about time. We had a great meeting with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi and uh, the whole Republican leadership group. And I'll tell you what, we walked out of there, Mitch and Paul and everybody, Kevin, and we walked out and everybody was happy. Not too happy because you can never be too happy, but they were happy enough.
0: I see two things, and Buck Sexton back with you now. I, I see two things uh, that immediately jumped to mind with the Trump statement there and the meeting and what's happened on this negotiation with the Democrats. One, people who are saying, "Oh, Trump is now a, Trump is now a Democrat president." You're, people that is being written, it's being said. He will the the whiplash that some people feel right now with him saying nice things about Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I mean, give it a week, give it a month. Certainly the next time around with the debt ceiling, whatever he said now, one thing we know about Trump, when he goes rogue, he goes rogue bigly. And whatever he says now about this, it's not going to matter for what Trump decides to do down the line. Now, you either like this about Trump or you don't. The polling reflects that. I'm not somebody who likes to spend too much time parsing polls, but you, you you know this instinctively. So when a poll reflects what you already can just tell, I think th- then it's uh, it's reinforcing your common sense and a, a huge percentage. I forget. It's like over 90, I think. I mean, a huge percentage of people who voted for Trump in the primary like what he's doing and uh, and, and like the way that he's handling this whole situation and a much smaller percentage of. Um, Republicans overall, but still a majority of them, support how this has all been going. So, you know, I think yes, I'm sorry, it's not, two Republican parties. Trump's job approval is, this is in the Wall Street Journal, 98% among Trump primary voters, 66% among other Republicans. So, if you voted for Trump, you're, you're with them on this all the way. And, and I, I suppose the mentality at some level is that you just want to see it through. We, we know what the we know what the alternative is, right? We we've seen the the McConnell Ryan Republican Party in action for quite some time. First, there's its inability to win a presidential election, at least up against uh, Barack Obama for two election cycles. But then there's also the broken promises. Then there's also Obamacare repeal that just didn't happen. That's not on Trump. That's on the Slick, smooth talking inside the beltway. We know what's up. We know the parliamentary procedures, GOP folks. They're the ones who didn't do that. So I think a lot of Trump supporters see this situation. and They say to themselves, let's see if Trump can make something else. Let, let's see if he can make this happen. We, we, know the, we know what the establishment within the GOP wants to do. And we can always go back to that. That'll always be there. But if we want dramatic, a uh, dramatic shift in momentum, and if you want any hope at all of getting things that the GOP establishment is not in favor of, like a change in immigration policy, building a wall, but right now, wall building does. I'm, I'm not, I'm not bullish on the building of the wall. I think you could say that. I'm, I am concerned that this is just going to get dragged out until it no longer gets discussed. It will be delay and delay and defer and then eh, we got other issues, which would be which would be unfortunate because it it is not just about border security. It is also about the symbolism of sovereignty and the restoration of that sovereignty to this country. And so I think the the wall, which is already partially in place and the long, dark night of fascism has not descended despite the. 700 miles of fencing and whatever else we've got down there on the border. Uh, so it, it's not going to be the the end of days if the wall did get built, but I'm worried that it will not in fact happen. One one other point after Trump said that he got this negotiation done. There's the political side of it, and then there's the we should all be concerned. We should all be concerned about the debt. And right now it's just not a matter of political attention. It's not a matter that gets either base particularly energized. It's a really big problem, though. And you had uh, Representative Mark Meadows of the Freedom Caucus making that point. Play clip five, please.
1: The cliff that it sets up in December right before Christmas is, is certainly not good. Were people blindsided? Yes. Was I surprised? Uh, without a doubt. There was not a conservative solution out there you know, and so so people want to criticize the, uh, the Trump administration for making this call. We were talking about a clean debt ceiling, you know, months ago, but it does show and you you always look for a silver lining. And that's one of the things that I'm looking for is in this particular thing, it shows that the president is myopically focused on
5: tax reform.
0: Myopically focused on tax reform. Paul Ryan backed him up on that. I should know. Play clip, two.
5: Our tax writing committees are in the midst of working on the details. This is our number one priority this fall. We want Americans to begin the new year with a new tax system. It is high time. We haven't done this since 1986. And the rest of the world has passed our country on. And it's time we get back in the game of being competitive. And we will get faster economic growth when we do this.
0: Okay, they've set up, they've set up the standard now. They have put the goal posts in place. This fall number one priority is tax reform. they couldn't couldn't do anything on Obamacare and we'll get to DACA by the way at the top of the coming up and then also Title nine that'll be in the next hour uh, and we have uh, Tommy Laren joining uh, Tommy Laren of Fox News joining us to give her take on all these issues as well as uh, I might have to ask for her thoughts on the Hillary book tour, which even has some Democrats saying, "Oh gosh no, please no Hillary's going to show up in front of throngs of people in the in the low dozens across the country so she can say what happened and they get to just listen to her throw other people under the bus and make excuses and say it was sexism it's like you know what hillary maybe it wasn't just sexism maybe it wasn't just the bernie bros maybe just maybe there were some other aspects of of you as a candidate some i mean i can't put my finger on it but but just uh, you could say maybe charismatically challenged, maybe having the warmth and personal magnetism of a Siberian prison guard from the 1920s, you know, that didn't help. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut, everybody. We have Tommy Laren on the line now. She's a conservative political commentator and Fox News contributor. The one and only Tommy Lahren. Great to have you, Tommy.
7: Uh, always great to talk to you, Buck. It's been a while.
0: Indeed. Uh, Congrats on Fox News. It's official now. Everybody knows. Very exciting stuff.
7: You know, I haven't been able to tell anybody what I have in the works, so it's nice to finally tell people that I'm employed because, you know, the trolls, that's been the running joke all summer is that I'm like a jobless loser. So it feels good, Buck. It feels good.
0: (laughs) I can can imagine, Tommy. So explain to me, if you would, your take on Trump's take on a meeting with Schumer and Pelosi that ends up in a deal. Before before I get your take, though, here's what Pelosi said about it. Play clip nine.
7: It was a very long, intense conversation. Now, I'm an appropriator, so I've had a little bit of an advantage in my view. It was a long meeting, and um, I was very proud of uh, uh, the Senate, minority, uh, Senate Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. He, he could speak
3: New York to the president.
0: Uh, He could speak New York to President Trump. They got a deal. Tommy, people are saying, what the heck is going on here?
7: You know, I still don't know how I feel about this entirely just yet. It's going to take me a little while to process it. Because, you know, and I've said this so many times, I'm not just somebody who gives Trump a pass on everything. If he does something I don't like, I'll call him out on it. And uh, I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about this. But can we just talk about Nancy and how she doesn't seem to be all there? I mean, what's going on there? This is a representative of the people, and she can barely string a sentence together.
0: Uh, She she is a, a master legislator, as I think she once described herself. So so there's <laughs> that. She's got that going for her, which is nice. But, but, but what did you think of the—I uh, of the? I haven't had your, your take on the—because uh, we haven't talked in a little while—on the DACA decision either. So Trump rescinds, says six months, or else I'll revisit. Yay, nay, somewhere in between? What do you think?
7: Well, you know, I'm one of those people that believes in this radical notion that if people want to come into this country, they have to follow the laws of this country. And, of course, I'm hearing the the left and they're, they're clamoring to jump all over this one with the emotional pleas. But what I would like to see them do is talk to legal immigrants that have had to wait, that have had to pay, parents that wanted their kids to be able to grow up here and live here. So they went through the legal process. But all we hear from the left is how it's so unfair, it's so unfair that people that broke the law, their parents broke the law, that they they shouldn't be able to reap the benefits of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Give me a break, Buck. Why would we reward and give perks to illegal immigrants and illegal activity? Enough is enough.
0: What do you make of of some of the reporting, though, that that Trump is is very favorably disposed towards doing something to, uh, or, or rather would be favorably disposed towards Congress- Doing something about the Dreamers, my I think he already tweeted out that no one, or or it's an official statement's gone out that for the six months there'll be no enforcement action based on the information that Dreamers gave to the government, right? Because that was one of the big talking points for the first twenty four hours. is all oh, they trusted the government, and now that's coming back to haunt them. He's saying, "Look, that's not going to happen." But I mean, Tommy, how, look, let me, let me just ask you this way: How do you feel about this? If six months comes, you know, within the six month window, the Republican Congress passes some pathway only for DACA covered individuals, but puts together some pathway that is, in fact, an amnesty and Trump signs it. Are are you going to be upset if he does that?
7: I'm going to be upset if it doesn't come with border enforcement. That's where this all has to start. I mean, I think that we're logical, even though that we're conservatives. And to me, I'm an immigration hardliner. I'm also a logical person. I understand that we can't deport not even just dreamers. We can't deport, deport the 11 to probably 20 million illegal immigrants we have living in this country. We can't just deport all of them. I don't believe we can do that. However... If there's going to be some kind of pathway to some kind of an amnesty or a pseudo amnesty, there has to be border enforcement. Personally, I like the wall. Give us the wall. Give us tough border enforcement and we'll give you your dreamers. I'm OK with that. But let's get to work on some kind of border enforcement first.
0: We're speaking to Tommy Lahren, conservative political commentator, Fox News contributor and a person with with a Facebook following the size of of, of a lot of small countries. Uh Tommy. Let me ask you, uh, what's what's your take on the Hillary tour? She is. I mean, the jokes on this, of course, I'm like the three thousandth person to make the joke about how she's finally going to Wisconsin. But Hillary is, in fact, going all over the country to talk about her book. Um, Is this is this good for the Democrat brand? Do you think this is just Hillary being Hillary or do you think that somehow this is part of the narrative that they need to regroup and mount a challenge against Trump the next time around?
7: I gotta tell you, she's obviously bad for for the Democrats. I think that there are even late night hosts now and other Democrats that are saying Hillary, please stop. For the love of God, please stop. But for me personally, I wish that she would stop. I wish that she would stop wounding the Democratic Party because I like a challenge. In 2020, I don't want to just make it easy. And the more that they put her at the forefront, that just becomes so much easier for a reelection. And I want, you know, I want some fireworks. I want a challenge. But let's be honest, she likes to be in the spotlight. She wants to go talk about her book. I don't know if she thinks she's going to run again. She couldn't be that crazy. She couldn't be that unstable, could she, Buck?
0: Oh, I I don't think she could run again, but I do think she hasn't yet accepted that Obama is the kingmaker in the Democrat Party among Democrats now. It's never going to be Hillary again. I don't think she's really even, you know, it was one thing to lose the election. I think she also hasn't yet come to the realization that she is no, the, the Clinton dynasty is no longer a dynasty, even when it comes to just the uh, public relations and messaging side of all this?
7: I mean, I think Hillary Clinton is like the my space of politics. It's just no one really uses it anymore. It's outdated and it just probably needs to go away. And uh, that's how I feel about Hillary. But I think that the Democrats would be smart to rein her in and say, you know, enough is enough. You need to give this up. It's getting pathetic at this point. We need to just call it quits. And you just need to go and spend some time with Chelsea and, you know, and enjoy your life and just get out yeah. of home.
0: She, she can rock quit. out. She can be grandma, grandma, leather jacket Hillary, you know, and, and rock out all over the country. I, mean, I don't know if you saw that. She did the whole leather jacket speech yeah. when she came back. Um But before we let you go, Tommy, you were an early an early Trump supporter and, and you were also a Trump supporter. When we were both at the blaze together and I was you were in the straight up supporting Trump side once things got a little further along in the primary. I was like, I support Trump if he's the nominee 100 percent without reservation. So I was just uh, and we were the only ones as far as I knew not to misspeak, but we're the only ones that I can recall that were willing to and or fully supportive of Trump at that stage. How are you feeling about how he's done up to this point?
7: I'm happy with it, but I will say this. Congress has to play ball. It's not all on President Trump, and I think that there are many right now. Let's be honest. there are some, some Republicans right now that have turned Democrats to Democrats and just ter- turned loony. And so we need to remind them that they a lot of them, a lot of the Republicans that we elected, they rode in on the coattails of Donald Trump, and now they're doing everything they can to try to obstruct Donald Trump. I think out of bitterness, I think that they don't like the fact that he is the, you know, the leader of the Republican Party, and they're still bitter about that. I think John McCain is certainly one of them that I could name, and that's a quite obvious example. But I'm happy with the steps that President Trump is taking. I'm happy with what he's doing with the tools and resources he has available to him. But you know what? i got to tell you, immigration, immigration is a big one to me, as well as a lot of other Trump supporters. He cannot fail on this.
0: Tommy and everybody, of Fox News. Tommy, are you going to be joining one of my all-time favorites, Sean Hannity, in the next few days?
7: Well, absolutely. Sean's one of, my, one of my good friends, and I'm lucky to be able to share the screen with him frequently these days. So, more to come. More. So, to- all right.
0: So, in the days ahead, look for Tommy on, show, on Sean's show and, and, and all the shows over at Fox. Tommy Lahren, everybody. Tommy, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.
7: All right. Thanks so much, Buck.
0: Phone lines are open. Team, 888-900-BUCK, 888 900 28 2-5. Buck Sexton back with you here in the Freedom Hut West Coast edition or uh, LA outpost of the Freedom Hut. So I, I landed today and I called a friend of mine who lives out here. He's a LA year-rounder, but good, good buddy of mine. I said, you know, I got to go, uh, go get a bite and I got to get a cup, a cup of coffee. And he told me this place and I go into this place and it's a very hip, very cool place. And so I'm told and, and so I see. There is a lot of uh, well manicured uh, facial hair on the gentlemen and very, very fashionable attire on the men and the ladies. And I can tell the politics of this place tend towards the tend towards the Marxist. But the food was quite tasty and the coffee was pretty good. But it wasn't Black Rifle coffee, which is what I had this morning. And I can tell you, you compare it and there's just no comparison. Black Rifle coffee is the world's premium conservative coffee company it's owned and operated by united states veterans these guys are awesome they are all about their product and all about the mission the product coffee is absolutely delicious it's aromatic they source from a variety of farms in south america they roast it knowing that it will fuel freedom-loving americans everywhere and the mission employ veterans and empower them uh, for this great nation so it's America's conservative coffee. Vote with your dollar. Fuel the revolution. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Use the coupon code Buck10 for 10% off. Look, my friends, my family, they're all going. I'm getting them all hooked on Black Rifle Coffee, too. I'm drinking it every day. I'm cold brewing it now that it's getting cold in New York because it's only nice weather for like two months a year. I'm in L.A. I get bitter about it now. I'm going to start making the hot stuff soon. But BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. That's where you want to go. Coupon code Buck10 for 10% off. Uh, I've got a little time here for a, da- a, a bit of an extension of a DACA discussion, but I will. I have not forgotten Betsy DeVos Title IX. That's important. It's important because of the threat to the rule of law that is, uh, well, the, the threats to the rule of law that are, I think, growing right now, especially you look at DACA, look at immigration law, and we're being told more and more that the law isn't the law, which means due process is no longer something you will be able to expect either. The the dictates of politics will overrule whatever's on the page in terms of your rights, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. We will get to the Title IX discussion. Oh, and also some breaking news that I meant to mention earlier on the show. Uh, you have a an, 143 million people may be affected by a cyber attack on Equifax, which is one of the big Credit monitoring, uh, credit reporting agencies, credit reporting agencies, and intruders access names. So, oh gosh, all the stuff, all the stuff you don't want them to have. Oh my, we're gonna get, we're gonna have to talk about this. I think that'll actually be in the next segment. Another one of these massive hacks. Um, this is oof, not good, not good. We'll get there. We'll get there. First DACA, deferred action for. Childhood arrivals, as you know, President Trump repealed DACA. Has said though that Congress needs to act. Has also said, and and I was I was on HLN, which is a sister network to CNN. Is it a microaggression to call it a sister network, or is it a brother network? I don't, I don't know. It could be either, right? I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how HLN identifies, but I mean, whatever. Anyway, it's like a, a other network that's with CNN. Um, they, I was on there and I kept saying, cause people seemed uh, I was on a, on a show there with the, the, the wonderful, uh, Se cup who has a show on HLN and some of the guests were very, very concerned about oh but now they're going to be deporting people who gave their information to the government. And I was like, I don't look, that's not going to happen because it doesn't make sense for the Trump administration from a law enforcement prioritization perspective. Doesn't make sense. For the Trump administration to do that. So they're not going to do it. Sure enough. Trump comes out and says, No. That will not happen. The six months, you're not going to have enforcement people and and Congress needs Congress needs to act. Now, Congress acting could be that DACA is turned into a permanent legal status and Congress is allowed to confer status on whomever the Congress decides. Right. So if if Congress says, you know what, if you were covered under DACA, now you're a permanent resident, now you're a lawful permanent resident and Trump signs it. Um, That is not that is not the law of the land. So keep that in mind. Uh, But you had Paul Ryan out there. And this uh, I thought about this as well when our our friend uh, Tommy mentioned border security. Uh, You had Paul Ryan out there who was talking about DACA and the real problem as he sees it right now. Play clip four, please.
5: DACA is a symptom of a problem. We don't have control of our borders. And so while we deal with this issue, which the president just gave Congress time to deal with, I think it's only reasonable that we deal with the root cause of the problem, open borders, uncontrolled borders. We need to control our borders while we deal with this problem so that we don't have the same problem 10 years from now. That's just perfectly reasonable. And it wasn't too long ago that I think a lot of Democrats agreed with us. We should have operational control of our borders.
0: Totally agree with Paul Ryan on that we should have operational control of our borders. Here's where, I get, here's where I get a little um, a little curmudgeonly on this. Here's where I start to get annoyed. Paul Ryan just said that, I don't know, yesterday or today. You could have played that clip from, it was today, thank you. Thank you, Ty. Um, Ty's always got my back, which I appreciate. Uh, you could have had Paul Ryan say that a year ago. You could have had him say that 10 years ago. This has been the Republican mantra. For a very long time. But every time we look at what the Republicans and I mean now the the in good standing GOP, you know, bright letter names that, you know, you know, the the people that you would recognize from within the GOP stretching back now for the last two decades. When there's an opportunity to do something on immigration. Somehow we always end up with, well, you know, we need work permits and amnesty. I, I, I don't know what I, this was true under Bush. It was true with Republicans, and the gang of eight bill under Obama that that that's this hard line or not even hard line. Forget that's not a term. Scrap that. Strike that from the record, counselor. This notion that the Republicans really want to secure the border feels like an empty talking point because that's never the priority. The priority is work permits, uh, driver's licenses. Legalization, amnesty, pathway. We hear so much more about that. And I do think you may see, you know, you may see Republicans pass a permanent DACA status for people covered under the program, which will then beg the question, what about people that then say that they didn't get into the program before, but they should qualify for it, too? We're going to say no to them. We're going to disprove it. Now, do they get to the front of the line? You know, it just it keeps getting worse. Until you change the underlying conditions, every uh, gesture that seems kind, that seems uh, to be based in, in in mercy and and thoughtfulness for your fellow human being and people want to come to America and all the warm, fuzzy, big hug thoughts we can have about about illegal immigration. And plenty of people have them. Plenty of conservatives I know have them. They have nothing against the people, the individuals, the human beings who are illegal. They're just against people breaking the law and staying in the country and accessing federal benefits and not respecting the rules that we have in place. It doesn't mean they think that they're a bad person. Even Jeff Sessions said it earlier this week. This isn't about them being bad people. But I just don't believe the Republicans anymore when they say this. Because they they certainly didn't. And I, I called this one weeks ago. Not that it was a hard call to make, right? This is like, you know, who's going to win, Mayweather or McGregor? Not a hard call. Uh, but I said they're not going to shut down the government over, over funding for the wall. And there was some talk about that originally. But nope, they abandoned that real fast. And now we're being told that, okay, maybe something will happen with DACA. But Republicans in Congress will only do that if they get something, if they get border security measures. Border security can be turned up, can be turned down. Border uh, agents can be hired, and they can be furloughed or fired. Uh, enforcement policies can be ratcheted up a little bit, or they can be ratcheted down. Amnesty is forever. You know what else is forever, pretty much? A wall. I do think it's interesting that while we talk about the wall, you'll hear a lot of folks that make the case that it's ineffective, which then you say, well, what about Israel? And then you also point, people like me will say, what about the wall that you know, the Saudis are building between Saudi Arabia and Yemen on their border wall? What I mean, the DMZ between North and South Korea is a particularly extreme example. That's not just a wall. That's, you know, miles of landmines and artillery and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but walls tend to work. That's why people put them in place. Walls are a pretty old invention, you know. They've been around for quite some time, but a wall is, as I said, it's a physical manifestation. It is also a symbol, but it doesn't go away. The next administration uh, would have a wall in place too. So this is why I think it's you have to be very you have to be very careful as you look at what the Republicans are doing. They're going to make promises that they don't intend to keep. The only promise that I know that they can keep because once they do it, it's done. Is permanent legal status is amnesty, and Paul Ryan just—you can go back and you know—I—I I, I can call the tape. Paul Ryan is a pro-amnesty guy. How much time do I have, Ty? Oh, okay. I—I I, I thought we were about to run into a break. I got a little more time. Yeah, no. Paul Ryan is a uh, is an amnesty guy. He really is. I mean, he's one of these. Quasi-Cato Institute, open borders, economic activity is good for everybody. I mean, he's pretty much like, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him with illegals do the jobs Americans won't do on a on a bumper sticker on the back of his Prius. Yeah, that's right. I'm guessing that Ryan drives a Prius. It's cold. Oh, that's cold. But, you know, I think, he, by the way, a lot of Priuses out here in California. I kind of want to tell some of the folks in L.A., you know, oil prices are really low, and they're just going to go low, lower. Fracking in this country is a really big deal. Wait till all the rest of the major oil producers and countries all over the world start fracking too. Buck Sexton back here in the Freedom Hut West Coast office out here in Los Angeles for a few days. Lovely, lovely place. Great food. Weird politics, but lovely place. Um, before we get to the massive hack of Equifax and what that could mean, which 143 million. When you hear 143 million Americans may have had really sensitive data exposed, that's not something I think you can just say, "eh, somebody else's problem." Nah, that could that could be your problem too. It could be my problem. So we'll uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we have Phil in New Hampshire on the line. Phil, what's going on, my friend? Welcome to the Freedom Hut.
4: Uh, oh, not much, Buck. Hope you're all right out there with all the fires and everything.
0: I'm fine, sir. Thank you. What's on your mind? Excellent. Oh, not much. I, was, I
4: I thought about you and your sense of humor uh, the other day because I uh, one of the things that crossed my mind as I watched the Democrats and the left just go crazy over DACA was, uh, wow, kind of by accident, you guys almost look patriotic at this point. What with your support of this. People wanting to stay in this wonderful country under President Trump, <laughs> and considering what a little hissy fit they've been having that seemed extremely un-American. You know,
0: for- you're you're actually stu- you're stumbling onto what I think is a very interesting point, which is that culturally speaking, Democrats are the flag burning is patriotic. Uh, criticizing the nation in the most vitriolic terms talking about how we are just soaked in a history of racism and genocide that comes from the left it comes from Democrats only when they're making the case for how we can't kick basically anyone out of the country no matter what their legal status is here unless they're a mass murderer or or a or a rapist uh, that's when they start to speak about America and these in these flowery and loving terms of you know this this great republic and the statue of liberty's embrace and the poem and give me your tired and blah blah all that stuff <laughs> only when they're talking about how illegals need to stay do democrats all of a sudden think that patriot patriotism isn't just quaint you know it's not just for those people that have flags in front of their homes
4: it, ex- exactly and actually I've been looked at more than a few times for a couple flags that I have here around the property and and uh, people will often look at the flag and say, you know, did you vote for Trump? And it's like, Jesus suffering Christ. You know, honestly, uh but it you know, it reminds me so often of one of the funniest things you've ever said and it could be the most quotable buck thing of uh, it was a year ago and you said, has anybody ever said something to you that was so stupid that you just froze? <laughs> and and that came from you and I've never forgotten it because I laughed all morning after hearing that. I was listening to your podcast. Well, thank
0: you. Speaking of something, and, uh, and Shields High, Phil, in New Hampshire. Uh, uh, speaking of something so stupid you just freeze, uh, Kamala Harris, who is a senator from the state that I am currently in. I'm out here in L.A. She's a senator from California. She tweeted out from her official account last night, for Attorney General Jeff Jeff Sessions... To suggest that dreamers are anything other than lawful is irresponsible. Um well, you see, Ms Harris, the problem with that I mean this is really a, a, this is similar to saying for anyone to call illegal immigrants out for illegality is just wrong. well, no it's it's not actually. It's like, dude, like, why you got to, like, hey, man, like, I'm out here in the 405 and the 101, I'm driving around. It's like, why can't you just be cool to everybody? Why you got to say anyone's illegal? See, I could I could live here. I, I I, get the California vibe. There's, you know, there's these freeways that people talk about a lot. I've seen the SNL sketch. I get it. Okay, uh, enough on the DACA thing for a second. I wanted to talk about this. Massive hack. So Equifax and, uh, you know, Equifax, Experian, these are the companies that decide what your credit rating is, um, which is a a whole separate discussion would be how anyone thinks it's fair that, I don't know, maybe a maybe a $5 uh, charge that you never received from, like, Blockbuster or wherever years ago that then gets turned over to collections, like how that can knock your credit down 100 points or something. I mean, you know, so I'm told. H- how that could happen to anybody, and that's considered to be, You know, the five dollars that you owed that you didn't know about a year ago means that you're not a a good credit uh, risk is that's something that should be addressed in the system, shall we say. Um, But Experian has a lot of your information. And now because of hackers and I have a feeling I don't know this. I have a feeling we're going to find out that the brilliance of this hack, meaning the skill of these hackers, we'd like to think that. It's speaking of the Matrix that it's like some, you know, cyber geniuses in a in a double double secret bunker under a former nuclear missile silo site somewhere in Siberia. And, you know, they're like, you did you get the information? Yes, we've got all the experience data like you'd like to think that they're these genius, brilliant guys are doing this. I'm going to guess that they probably went with the uh, the old pedestal routine or something like that, meaning that this was a phishing scam. You know, there's, there's somebody at the company got sent an email. I know, look, I don't know. It, it could be. I, I, I'm i the first one to call in, call in the IT support desk for, you know, my computer won't turn on. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm good at this stuff. But I do read a lot about hacking and cyber, and I'm familiar with the uh, national security implications of data loss uh, so here's what I, it, it probably was something pretty straightforward which in some ways is even more concerning because if someone just sends an email I mean this is some of you have probably had this if you go through your your spam filter of your email account uh, you know if you decided peruse through it which I, I don't recommend you do but if you did do that you'd probably see someone you'd probably see some email saying you know I, I've just come into an inheritance and if you just just I would love to give you this $10 million. Just give me your bank account information. Those scams are so, uh, so blatant and so dumb that nobody ever wants to talk about the fact that, until pretty recently at least, millions and millions and millions of dollars were being lost, stolen, through scams just like that. And the scammers have gotten more sophisticated now. You know, the old version of, hey, I'm a... I'm a prince from a country that doesn't exist and the royal family needs some I mean I've I've seen versions of this in the past. Now it's they format it to look like it came from the IT desk of your company and it's hey I just need to reset your password or hey you know I just need you to click this link to test something out for our security systems, you know, Bob in IT. I mean, you know, you don't want Bob in IT to put you on the on the naughty list of people that don't respond to the security protocol survey, so you know, you click on it, right? They've gotten smarter whether you're sitting at home at your computer or you're at an office somewhere, it doesn't matter. If you're connected to the Internet, you're vulnerable in one way or another. And a company like Equifax is a huge target because of all the sensitive information that it has. And now somebody else has it. Here's the big report today. Here's, this is a massive cyber breach. Your information, I mean, uh, 143 million exposed. Only 320 million people in the country. So, I mean, we're looking at a roughly 50-50 shot for those of you listening. I mean, it's close to a coin flip that you – now that doesn't – I'm not saying that, they, that they're going to be buying a – that our, our fictional Yuri in, in Siberia is going to be buying a, you know, a few houses and a, and a motorboat and everything else in your name. But, you know, it, it could be out there now. And, and someone's information – I mean, they did this for some reason. Here's what we know: Equifax Incorporated, this is according to Bloomberg News, said its systems were struck by a cyber attack. It may have affected about 143 million U.S. customers of the credit reporting agency, shedding light on one of the largest and most intrusive breaches in history. And here's what you really need to know: So, what they get? A lot of the time with this stuff, oh, they've they've uh, walled off, or there's a firewall to prevent the really sensitive stuff. Oh no! In this case, it looks like no, they got it. And in, in, th- in this case, the heist. May have been successful they got past the the initial cash registers and got into the bank vault intruders had uh, accessed quote names social security numbers birth dates addresses and driver's license numbers Equifax said in a statement credit card companies uh, credit card numbers for about 209,000 consumers were also accessed Equifax shares dropped more than 8% in after hours trading, which is only particularly interesting to me because there's also a Bloomberg piece here. How some Equifax managers sold stock before this hack was disclosed. It's not a good idea, guys. That is uh, that is that is an inadvisable inadvisable from a legal perspective. Uh, I believe that is an inadvisable move. So um, huge hack. All this information now. Is out there, and will it, will it affect you as an individual? Probably not. There's some there's some safety in the herd here. They've got so much data that your data is unlikely to grab any one individual's attention. But clearly, this could be used for the purposes of trying to scam, uh, trying to scam the financial system, and trying to use data for identity theft purposes. And that's uh, that tried and true. And, and identity theft as a as a form of criminal enterprise just gets bigger year in and year out. And this shows you that we are now forced to conduct business, to just be a, a functioning person, unless you're going to live off the grid entirely. And, you know, you've, you've got like a, a, a solar generator and, you're, and a well with your own water supply and you don't have any, you don't have a cell phone or a computer. If you're interacting in the interactive world wordplay, um, if you're doing that, you expose yourself to this and you have no choice. You know the, the IRS demands all this information from you. The credit monitoring agencies gather all this information on you if you want a loan, if you want to buy a car, if you want credit cards. People are going to get this information. They're going to have it. And that means that if they don't take all due care with it, there are vulnerabilities here that are exposed. Now, this... We'll see where this all goes. Um, Who who knows what the full damage will be? But we have entered a a period here, and this is really a 21st century phenomenon, where so much damage, uh, so much knowledge and wealth transfer is happening without any of us even really knowing about it. And the implications of it, and I'm thinking more along the lines of, uh, the cyber espionage that's going on all the time with intrusions into yes government computers, military computers, uh, various companies, small and large, the intellectual property that they have, the biggest advantage that the United States has, other than our wonderful country, our great resources, and our unparalleled people, but the biggest advantage we have, both economic, in economic and military terms, is information. We have information advantages over every other country in the world in one way or another, right? We have advanced technology that other countries don't have. We have companies that have proprietary technology that other companies and countries want to have. And the moment you start to look at how widespread this cyber theft really is and Keep in mind that I don't think anybody knows because a lot of it happens without the intrusions being detected. And the government both wants to talk about it because they want the resources to combat it because the government always wants more resources and doesn't really want to talk about it because it looks like they're asleep at the wheel and they're not getting the job done. Protecting uh, our I'm talking about now you, your your company at the private citizen level as well, not just you know we, we've had look at the hack against Sony. Huge damage done to that company. It's a private company. Right? But uh, I I want to refocus this, though, on the long-term impact. Uh, so much of what is necessary for our economy to flourish and, and for our military to have superiority is information-based. And if you're online, if it is online, it is vulnerable. And these vulnerabilities are being exploited so many times that I can't even begin to fathom what the real number is and the long term impact of this is really going to be felt at at i've i've been saying this for a while and i just i do want to repeat it at a civilizational level and i yes i'm looking at you china and russia and and other countries that are realizing that the r&d the research and development the things that they would usually have to do to get up to speed with us in a whole bunch of areas they don't have to they can just try to steal it and it's easier than ever to steal information and there's so much more information out there in the first place so The uh, the cyber war is global. It is everywhere. And if you have an Internet connection or a cell phone, my friends, you can be affected by it. That is what the Equifax hack today is a reminder of. Quick break here. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about Title nine and Betsy DeVos. She is restoring due process to people who are accused on campus of sexual misconduct. We'll be back with that more. What he was trying to say is that people that support the monument staying there peacefully and people that oppose that, that's the normal course of, of First Amendment. But he's talking about the neo-Nazis and neo-Confederates and the Klan, who, by the way, are absolutely awful. There's no room in American politics for that. There's no room in American society for that. And all Donald Trump was saying is, where does it end? Does it end in taking down the Washington Monument? Does it end in taking down Mount Rushmore? Does it end in taking Churchill's bust out of the Oval Office? There you have Steve Bannon. I think, he's on, I think he was on 60 Minutes there. They're really right. He he will be, but that's a clip from a 60 Minutes interview, right? So you got Steve Bannon going on 60 Minutes. The media are the opposition party, aren't they? It's interesting. Look, I I understand what the uh, the thinking is. I I believe, at least I understand it, that he is going to use just because he disagrees with the mainstream media and thinks they're dishonest. Doesn't mean he won't use their platform for his own purposes, or you know, when given the opportunity. But uh, there he was talking about Charlottesville and Trump's on both sides uh, statement that got so much attention after after Charlottesville. And this will be complete. This will be brushed off by those who who just don't want to hear it. When he says that there's no room in American society in American society for uh, neo whatever it is. Neo, he said neo-Confederates, I think white nationalists, neo-Nazis, all that stuff. Um, he says that and that will be that will be completely. Uh, swept. They won't pay any attention to it because they've decided that Steve Bannon, the press, and so many others have decided that Steve Bannon is racist, no matter how many times he says he is. He is not. Um, it does remind me though that there's there were a couple of pieces. I saw one in particular that I can at least think of off the top of my head. I think there were a couple of them this week that were trying to say th- that the Republican Party has, and then that the DACA and immigration is really just a a reflection of this problem, right? What they're saying is that the Republican Party has a white nationalist problem and that the Democrats do not have an Antifa problem. Uh, and they've just got it backwards. Uh, delusional Democrats, delusional Democrats, they uh, refuse to see things in the uh, order of magnitude in which they actually exist. And they will, they will magnify what they want to and they will minimize what they want to in the current political conversation. Uh, so Bannon saying that there's no room in American society for Nazis, it'll be like he never said it. That that won't get uh that won't get much more attention or play at all other than what people take away from that when he says it on when they air that 60 Minutes interview. But on Antifa versus white nationalists, I I still I've I've seen Antifa with my own eyes. I've I've been around them at protests. I I this group has been around and it's wasn't called Antifa then, but this anarchist leftist progressive movement is, is really has been around for a few decades, actually. But with Trump, they have seized the moment. They they say that now they're particularly needed and they become even more open and, and vicious. It's because that not only are, are they a widespread group, but they have the sympathy of a lot of people in the media. They they believe that there's some need to oppose trump because of fascism i mean so anti-fascism must at some level be a good thing right it's crazy but this is what people in the media think all right this big title nine discussion today coming up uh sexual assault on campus should you have rights if you are accused or should you be part of a kangaroo court that's what the discussion really comes down to buck is back here with you in the freedom hut west coast edition here in los angeles thank you so much for listening thank you for joining uh, if you have not, please do follow me on Twitter, at Buck Also, Facebook.com slash Buck for all your social media team buck needs. And if you want to get some gear, Buck Saxton.com slash store. T-shirts, hats, mugs, Freedom Hut paraphernalia. Good stuff. Go check it out. I want to talk to you about Title IX. Title Nine. this sounds like it, well, some of you might. Think that this is fascinating, and that's great. I hope you do. Uh, but when you say things like "let's talk about Title IX," I can understand a lot of folks across the country be like, "Ah, oh, this is not this is not something I have to really deal with. or I have to worry about." Because here's what Title IX says. Here is what the actual text states. It's from the Education Amendment of 1972. Okay, quote: "No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex," Be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So it's just a federal government statute that says you can't discriminate against somebody on the basis of sex. Okay. It seems very straightforward. How do you get from there to where the Obama administration took it, which is not only and and but the, the history of Title IX, and I could go into some detail here. If some of you are curious, maybe let me know in a, another show I will. But what it has meant in practice is that you, you have to have equal sports spending for men's and women's teams. That was an issue for a while. So you had to get rid of different athletic programs at schools, even though <gasps> There's actually a difference in the participation rates between the male and female components of the student body when it comes to varsity athletics at the NCAA level. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. But, you know, you had to have even spending. Well, you know, it's tough to spend as much on the women's volleyball team as you do on the men's football team. So what do they do? They cut the men's lacrosse team or they cut the men's crew team or whatever. They found ways to because they had to balance out the spending because of Title IX pressure. That's not great, but that's not. The end of the world. Right. I mean, club sports can form. And quite honestly, I'm probably getting in trouble for saying this. I think the whole notion of the campus, the whole notion of our colleges and universities, as in many cases, kind of minor league sports facilities that also offer some classes is really not a good thing. And I know that this is maybe a more controversial discussion. We could all have another time. But you're supposed to go to school to get an education. You're really not supposed to go to school so that you can spend four hours a day practicing two hours a day in the weight room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's not actually. I know people get mad at me. They say, buggy. I'm sorry. I, I, I have I have opinions on this as I have opinions on many things. But Title IX in the context of the. And let me bring this back to Betsy DeVos right now today. Why do you care? Why do you care? There are a couple of reasons. For One. What happens on college campuses are a precursor to what will happen in the broader culture. Examples of this. The language that you'll even hear, things like triggering for when somebody says something that is so offensive, oh my gosh, and microaggressions. Um, Excuse me, sir, you said something that you didn't mean to be offensive, but it was like totally offensive. Those are things that started on the campus and now they're in common usage. Well, some of you are like, Buck, they're not actually in common usage where I'm from, but they are known across the across the country. The progressive philosophy of intersectionality, which is that there are different identity groups that are in a constant struggle for primacy and that that is the defining characteristic of day-to-day American life, starts on the campuses and ends with you know, fights over transgenders in the military. It ends with, you got to have transgender students that are 12 using, you know, that are biologically male using the bathroom with 12-year-old girls. I mean, it starts on the campuses because it's where the leftist lunacy is allowed to, it's it's like a laboratory for leftist lunacy. It's where it's allowed to grow and fester and be cultivated, and then it spreads into the rest of society. So that's why... The, with the campus culture and Title IX on campus should matter to you because it will—and I should also note that professors and uh, college presidents, some of these very overpaid administrators, they go on to become cabinet members. They go on to become very powerful government figures, too. And there's kind of a revolving door at elite universities between the top positions in government and the most elite universities. So there, there's no walling off the ideology of the campus from the society. I, I don't care if you live in rural Montana, if you have a job, have to go to a grocery store, have to interact with people, uh, have to send your kid to school, any of the, this culture that I'm describing and these ideas, you're coming into contact with them, as as you all know. But that that's why I don't want this to I, I worry that the, the dial might start to switch on your radio station like, oh, he's going to talk about campus Title IX stuff. No, this really matters matters for all of us. That's, that's one big part of this. The other part of this is due process, which is where we get to the Betsy DeVos discussion, because you either believe in due process or you don't. And what's happened, because the left has decided, and this was an Obama administration initiative, what the left has decided was that Title IX was useful in the culture wars for them. Title IX was useful to... Propagate the myth of a war on women. It was useful to uh, get the base all excited about. And I mean excited as an aggravated and angry and. and and Furious. Over the treatment of women on campus, over the plague. Of uh, sexual assaults on campuses, which. There are still these statistics out there that you'll hear that. Sexual assault on campus is a uh, one in five women will be sexually assaulted. And then when you learn where that statistic comes from, you find out that it includes unwanted advances, uh, aggressive sexual comments. There's a whole slew of things that you know, sexual assault is, a, is, is used and they do this intentionally. a Very broad term. Most people here and they're thinking of a physical assault. They're thinking of of rape or something that is uh, a physical assault that falls into those categories of a sexual crime. But the left, because they want to make this seem like a much bigger issue because they still, even in 2017, you have more women going to college than men, more women getting college degrees than men do. You've got more women than ever in the marketplace. And they still cling to this myth of a war on women and a misogynist, sexist, evil Republican Party. And that's why the Rape Frenzy on Campus, which is borrowing a title of a book that was written earlier this year, actually had the author on to talk about this. The Rape Frenzy on Campus is politically useful for Democrats. So the Obama administration issued this guidance using Title IX, which just says no discrimination against women, basically. They took it even further to adjust the evidentiary standard for somebody accused of a sexual assault On a college campus. Now, why the federal government? Well, I've explained to you why it should be surprising until we go through what I just described to you, that the Obama administration would make this a priority because one sexual assault in the context of an actual physical assault and or rape is a crime, a very serious crime, a felony and is prosecutable under the law in all 50 states. So why would the federal government feel the need to weigh in on how campuses are handling this as a non-criminal matter, meaning they are setting up these, these tribunals, and that's really what they are, that do not have due process protections, that do not uh, allow the accused to call witnesses either to contra- either to cross-examine them or to call witnesses for their defense? And are, are really just echo chambers of a hyperbolic and frenzied mentality that women are just that they're being attacked on campuses all the time. No one's doing anything about it. And if you and just to before I get into DeVos and why I think what she's doing is so important, I mean, you hear some of these stories. I mean, there's a guy at. University of Southern California, he's an athlete. And if you're an athlete, it should be noted that minority males have been disproportionately negatively affected by this new guidance from the Obama administration on how campuses have to handle sexual assaults. Oh, I I mentioned the change in the evidentiary standard. I don't want to just leave that leave that out there. Uh, It went to a preponderance of the evidence. So if they think that you, most, you, know, you mostly sexually assaulted somebody, like it's like 51% if they had to put a number on it, then they're going to take action against you as though you did sexually assault somebody, which means you can get expelled from school, it's on your record, and even if you're never criminally charged, you are, for the purposes of our society, for your career prospects, for your reputation, for your life, maybe not your freedom, but for all the other aspects of your life, you can be branded a rapist. With, without ever standing trial, having the right to defend yourself. And this is where you also run into people. that It that, becomes a very uncomfortable conversation. But there are no serious felonies that have as high of a false accusation rate as there are for sexual assault crimes, meaning that there's a pretty high percentage. I, I think now I'm forgetting the exact number, so do not quote me on it. I will try to check. Uh, And get back to it. But it's something along the lines of eight to ten percent. So roughly one in ten. Now, that's that means that a lot of sexual assault claims and a lot of them, I know, a lot of them are never filed. And but if one in ten are innocent people being accused of a a very serious crime that they could lose their freedom and their life and their livelihood over. uh, Ten percent is high, right, of ten percent. You would think that there should be protections in place. But they've skewed that the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that you have things like this: University of Southern California. This is a well-known, well, not as well-known as it should be, a, a case where you had a woman who was uh, quote playfully roughhousing with her boyfriend. They're both athletes, but somebody saw this and reported it to the university's Title IX coordinator, which is now a job on on all these campuses. I think. I think Harvard has like a few dozen people doing this. So this is people get paid to be title nine coordinators. Like people get paid to be diversity coordinators on campus. I, I remember having to meet with the diversity coordinators on my own college campus many years ago. Back when people were riding. You know, uh, riding on, on horses to get to school before the combustion engine and all that. Um, but That. I had to meet with the diversity coordinators because we were throwing a party we were going to serve tequila and there were rumors that some people might wear sombreros and that was a cultural appropriation and that was very unacceptable to the campus student body. But people get paid to do this. Anyway, this University of Southern California case is that the guy and the girl are, are roughhousing. Somebody sees it and reports it. Okay, look, I could understand that. Uh, sometimes women, you know, there's battered wife syndrome, which applies also in, in non-marital relationships too. And... Uh, Maybe they, you know, they saw something they didn't like. Fine. But the the woman, then they go through this whole situation, uh, and university administrators met with her, and she said, no, he didn't. We were just playing around. It was fine. Nothing happened. He didn't do anything. So she's saying no crime was committed. He's obviously saying no crime was committed. No assault happened. The university didn't care. The university just did not care. In fact, they, uh, kicked him out of the school. They just kicked him out of the school because they, they figured that, you know, well, yeah, we, we think that there was something going on here, so you're expelled now. And that's just, that's just one example. Actually, at my own college, at Amherst College, there was a student who was expelled, even though he presented evidence that he was, in fact, sexually assaulted. There is case after case after case. Students who were saying this happened at Colorado State and a uh, hat tip, Robbie Suave at Reason.com for uh, pulling together some of these cases. Uh, the Amherst case I knew about because it was my own school, and it was really, you know, this this guy is essentially incredibly drunk. The female in the case is not drunk at all, and they engage in relations, as many college students do, and then she's upset about it later on. He doesn't use any force, but she, I, I don't even know how they got, but but he's the guy, so he's guilty. It's, he was drunk, she was not. He didn't force anything, but somehow he's guilty of, I mean, it, you read the transcript of, the, of the, what the case and how it went and you go to yourself, my gosh.
3: The truth is that the system established by the prior administration has failed too many students. Survivors, victims of a lack of due process, and campus administrators have all told me that the current approach does a disservice to everyone involved. That's why we must do better, because the current approach isn't working. This system, failed system, has generated hundreds upon hundreds of cases in the Department's Office for Civil Rights, mostly filed by students who reported sexual misconduct and believe their schools let them down.
0: There you have uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos talking about uh, why it is that the administration is taking a different position than the Obama administration on this. And that is then responded to by leftist activists. Uh, I see this this person who is the co-founder of the new agenda, uh, who has a a substantial Twitter following, for whatever that's worth, um, saying that— that this is eliminating due process. That this is eliminating protections for the uh, LGBTQ community. That DeVos quote is wiping away Title IX protections for college. Uh, Title nine protections for college sexual assault. It's just the next step on our path to authoritarianism. Hashtag stop Betsy. These people are once again delusional. One of the best words I can use to describe the Democrat left these days. She's not wiping away. She's not wiping away Title IX. She's just not forcing schools under Title IX pressure because part of Title IX is that if if you don't do what the federal government says you can lose federal funds. so it's it's got some teeth. And this is this why it led to uh, you know to even out the spending on college athletics. you had all these different wrestling programs and the, the ones that really got hit are the sports that don't have, you know, huge audiences and aren't big draws, right? I mean, you're never going to get rid of, like, Big Ten football or whatever, but you uh, you can lose a lot of other sports. The squash team. Oh, gosh, they're getting rid of the squash team. What are we going to do now? Makes me sad on the inside. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the the reality here is that she's just, that Betsy DeVos is saying that we're not going to have the federal government now telling campuses to set up these tribunals. They're completely... Uh, ridiculous! They're stacked against the defendant, and it's all because they're it's witch hunts. Th- these are witch hunts. They've created a frenzied atmosphere on the campus where men are all sexual predators in waiting, and this plays well with Democrat activists and people who like to divide. I mean, it's amazing in this day and age that that it still works. But look at Obama and Romney. Binders. Romney had binders full of women, I and mean, what did I mean? The guy was just talking. It had nothing to do with anything. Oh, he had binders full of women. War on women. War on women. And this is idiocy, but unfortunately, idiocy is often an effective... Uh, appealing to people's idiocy is effective when you're talking to idiots. So, the system isn't working. And another key point that she makes is that if everything is... Well, let me let Miss DeVos make it herself. 16, please.
3: A better way is also being more precise in the definition of sexual misconduct... Schools have been compelled by Washington to enforce ambiguous and incredibly broad definitions of assault and harassment. Too many cases involve students and faculty who have faced investigation and punishment simply for speaking their minds or teaching their classes. Any perceived offense can become a full-blown Title IX investigation. But if everything is harassment, then nothing is.
0: She is correct. However, what I should add to that is this has nothing to do with stopping harassment. Title IX as a tool on college campuses is largely used as a companion weapon against free speech on campus. So by using Title IX pressure, they can enforce a lot of this gender warfare, transgender rights agenda stuff as a function of federal mandate. Team Bucket, if you're wondering how crazy the Title IX expansion has gotten in terms of using Title IX as an enforcement mechanism of progressive orthodoxy, which is what it has turned into for quite some time now. And the Obama administration made this an issue. I mean, the White House, President Obama, Vice President Biden, they were out there pushing this. This was important to them it has uh, resulted in Title IX investigations for making jokes about the dead gorilla Harambe. That's, uh, that somehow is, a, is was considered a Title IX violation. How, I have absolutely no idea. But it did result in a, in a yeah, the universe... Oh, that was at UMass Amherst! Oh, there we go. UMass Amherst down the street from... My own little quaint college. You know, I will tell you that this this mentality and and this whole. Um, it, really, what you have are people exploiting the psychology of the psychology of the victimology movement, uh, which is a, a very profound force in our culture. Everyone these days wants to. Be, oh, I'm a victim. Oh, something terrible is happening. Oh, I'm a victim. Somebody give me stuff or do what I say. Or you have to say what I want you to say because otherwise you're victimizing me. Wait, what? I thought we lived in a free society. No, not so much. Not so much. At uh, Northwestern University, for example, you had a professor who was uh, expressing skepticism about rules that don't allow sexual relationships between students and professors. She got investigated under Title IX. So now you can't. I mean, these are all consenting adults. They're everyone's the age of consent. We're talking about you know people who are eighteen and up. Uh, yeah, should you should the university have a rule against you know you can't have a relationship with a professor that you're taking their class because of course there's there's an anti-competitive, in or, or also the possibility of, of retaliation with your grades or you know getting an A when you don't deserve one, um, but. If, ever, if we're talking about consenting adults, I mean, you know, I th- I think it's at least a discussion that can be had. You I know, mean, I mean, if you're a if you're a uh, if you're a biology major, no, I mean, but really, you know, if you're a a women's and gender studies major, guy, and you're one of one guy in the class, and you know, there's a, a female professor who's teaching over in the engineering labs for the purposes of our discussion here. We'll say she's an engineering professor, uh, and you know. You, You're not her student. Does the university have some universities don't ban that? I mean, my college didn't, for example. So, you know, but you can get in trouble for having a discussion about that at North. Oh, you know, it's terrible. (laughs) It's just nonsense, right? And you may also be thinking, well, how big a deal is this buck? I mean, think if you if you're somebody who's caught in the crosshairs and you get fired and your reputation is destroyed. And in the in the instances where it's a sexual offense of any kind. And if you're kicked out of school because of sexual misconduct, and I don't even just mean sexual misconduct uh, amounting to a rape accusation. I'm talking about sexual. If you're kicked out of school for any kind of sexual misconduct, that's going to follow you around forever. I mean, it's going to affect your job, your life, and it's going to destroy your reputation. So if you get kicked out and you didn't do anything wrong, isn't that a pretty terrible thing to happen? And isn't there also a mentality? And this is for, for those of you who are still saying, fuck, this is mostly campus, there is a mentality in the Democrat Party, and it's it's forget about party affiliation. Put that aside for a for a second. Once again, strike that one, counselor, from the record. Number two, taking a mulligan here. There is a mentality among progressives, among the left, among liberals, if you want to call them that. I don't like that term for them because they're anti-liberty, but they have in a in an intentional Miscategorization, misnomer, they have called themselves liberal for some time now, and people refer to them as that way. But the, the liberal left in this country um, is very dedicated to the notion that if you have to throw some innocent, if you have to ruin some innocent guys' lives to send a message to you know the rest of male humanity on this one, that's fine. Ezra Klein. I will never forget this. He is a he is a darling of the progressive left, very tight with the Obama administration. He kind of had a show on MSNBC. You know, I think they like him a lot because progressives like to talk about science and nerding out about things. And if you're going to talk about somebody who at least appears to be nerding out, I think he, he looks like he looks like he's nerding out. So that must mean he's really, really smart. Uh, but he openly wrote uh, when Obama came out with this whole guidance that if this means that some innocent guys you know get get uh, you know get the uh, short end of the stick here if this means that some innocent guys get convicted by these campus tribunals for rape so be it it's the price we pay for protecting women on campus it's a horrifying thing to say I mean I understand that the innocent get, uh, the, the innocent sometimes get prosecuted and, and convicted, even in our criminal justice system. But I would never say, well, you know, that hey, you know, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. That is how far this psychological rot has spread. That people will even say that openly. That innocent people, will, innocent men, it's all, it's always, it's about men, it's about targeting men. Innocent men will suffer because of this. And it's, this is all a part of the, The gender identity politics that the left is uh, is constantly engaging in. So, what what does this amount to? It just is a change in the tone, a change in the conversation. Betsy DeVos, Education Secretary, is saying, you know what, we're not going to the federal government is not going to mandate that colleges have have these courts in place. They're not really courts, but whatever you know, these tribunals, these proceedings that favor the accuser over the accused because the accused is almost always a man. Because if we don't, we're going to get federal funding pulled. We're not going to do that anymore. That has led to outrage that hashtag stop Betsy or, you know, Be- yeah, stop Betsy. Oh, it's so terrible. This is uh, this is complete nonsense. And, and I should note that at a time when you have Democrats openly applauding lawbreaking in the form of illegal immigration and continuing to cover for Obama's lawless DACA decision in the first place that there can be due process protections that get swept away for something as serious as a charge of sexual assault against a young man. It is unconscionable. That that would be allowed to, to continue. It is unconscionable. But for the left, the the processes, the rights of the individual are swept away by the, the, the political necessity of continuing this theme: of there's a war on women, there's a there's a rape cri- rape culture is what they call it. There's a rape culture on campus. As though there's just all these guys around raping people all the time. This is what they say, this is what they believe. It is not. It is not the case. It's not to say that there aren't uh, there aren't cultural deficiencies that exist between the way young men and young women interact on campus. That that is a conversation that might be worth having as well. That is true. And now I start. Now I really do start to sound like I'm yelling at people to get off my lawn. But way too much binge drinking. Way too much. Oh, I blacked out. What did we do with each other last night? You know, this is not healthy for anyone ever at any stage in their life. It's not good. And you you're not a uh you know you're not a an old you're not playing like hall monitor when you're telling people that don't get blackout drunk and have sexual relations because you're you're putting yourself at risk for all kinds of stuff. Including for the gentlemen who may be listening, after the fact allegations of sexual assault that you may be like what I thought it was fine. I didn't you know I didn't it don't put, you 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 want to avoid putting yourself even in the position, and to have those discussions. Of this this will tell you how bad it is on the campuses. If you and I, I know about this in terms of the training that goes on on campus because I I was a resident counselor, which means it's it's like an RA except you don't have a disciplinary function, so I, I you know you don't write people up or anything like that. But you're literally a counselor in the dorm. If somebody has a problem, they can come and talk to you. I was one in college. Um. So now it's like, Bucky, you were a hall monitor. No, I really wasn't because we're we we didn't you didn't you didn't write people up. You didn't send anybody to the dean's office. It was nothing like that. Um, But we had to go through a training process for how to deal with somebody who is homesick you know that was a big one you know no one ever talks for freshmen show up they're like i miss my mom you know and i get it you know that's cool man you know we all we all miss mom or dad or both when we get hopefully both we you know when we get to college a little bit right but you know, it was that kind of training a little bit of that but there was a lot of diversity training and you know what to how to interact with young men and young women and i will never forget in front of the whole staff our whole staff of people the resident counselors this we brought in a wasn't a diversity educator but it was it was like a sexual i was going to sexual coordinator educator but that actually sounds like way way more fun um it was i don't know it was somebody that was there to talk about male female stuff and and we were talking about the different scenarios that could occur on campus so we'd be aware of them so that if someone came to us to talk about it we'd know how to discuss it with them and, and to direct them to the appropriate resources and in some cases this was very this this did involve very very serious stuff and i had friends who did have uh, young women confide in them that they really they, they had been assaulted and that stuff happens no doubt about it and i think the first thing that has to happen when that happens is somebody goes down to the police station and files a criminal complaint It is a crime. It is not something for a college to sit around and, you know, think about. It is a crime. But I do remember being in in one of these training sessions and I was surrounded. Everybody, I mean, there were like one or two stealth conservatives there with me, I think. I never really got to find out. But I I kept my politics more or less to myself in college. I mean, I was a member of the College Republicans, but I wasn't rubbing it in everyone's face all the time. But I remember sitting there and and a young woman um, they were, they were doing all these different scenarios and a woman raised her hand who I knew and she said to this sexual coordinator or whatever uh you know it really you know, you know what another example is of sexual we're doing examples of sexual misconduct we're coming up with examples of sexual misconduct a woman raised her hand and she says well if a guy asks like more than twice and he really means it and like then you and then you sleep with him like like really you've been raped and, and I, the the part of it wasn't just an oh, my gosh, moment when she said that, because like this is you know, we're like 21, 22 years old, 20, 21 years old at the time. She thinks that that's a that that qualifies as rape, a criminal, a, ser- a felony, criminal, sexual assault. But the diversity sexual coordinator person or whatever was like, yeah, I could see that. And everyone in the room goes, yeah, yeah, that seems about right. Oh, my. Like, what? No, I wanted to, but you know what? If I was, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, di- I didn't get into it because, what do you, you want to raise your hand and be the guy who's who's defending the uh, who's defending the persistent questioning rapist guy who keeps asking, "Hey, would you sleep with me?" I mean, that's what that's the scenario that you put yourself in, right? You're gonna be that guy. Well. But this was even years ago. It's gotten so much worse, as we can see. Now the federal government's involved. Now there's money involved. And there's this huge narrative out there. And there are all these activists and there are people. There's always... And I've gone a longer... I haven't even gotten to the uh, religious test. I'm sorry. I've, I've gone a bit longer on this than I intended to. Uh, but there's always money behind this, too. And these diversity coordinators used to come on campus. This is, you know, e- e- eons ago, back uh, back when all the different continents were one. Uh, when I was in college. And... They they would get paid like a thousand dollars to come and speak some nonsense to say some gibberish about you know intersectionality for an hour. I mean, you know, there's money behind this stuff too. Don't forget it.
5: When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. When you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for, for years in this country.
0: That was Senator Dianne Feinstein questioning University of Notre Dame Law School professor Amy Barrett, who is a Catholic mother of seven. She's a nominee for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And Diane Feinstein says to her, the dogma lives loudly within you. Meaning that you're a Catholic, you're a believing Catholic, you're way too Catholic. You probably have problems with abortion and gay marriage, so maybe we shouldn't allow you to be on the court of appeals. Because remember the hashtag resistance, the the main front, the uh, Maginot line, and let's hope that it's about you know it's about as effective. Uh, the the main front for the resistance is the judiciary, really. I mean, the media, you could argue as well, but they can only shape perception. The judiciary will just decide that they're, well, they're the never-Trump judiciary. So whatever, he, whatever they can do to stop him, slow him down, destroy his agenda, they will do. That much has been made very clear to us. So this is an instance where you can play that imagine-if game, you know, Imagine if there were a Muslim nominee to the Court of Appeals, somebody who was of the Islamic faith, and somebody said, "You know, we're at war or or have fought wars in a number of Muslim majority countries, and terrorism is something that comes up when you're in the federal judiciary because of federal terrorism cases. You know, I'm just I'm just putting out there, you know, what do you you know, you're Muslim, what do you think about? I mean, you would have It would be progressive DEFCON 1. I mean, there'd be guys running around screaming and and knocking things over at like the Young Turks and these other progressive channels. I mean, the Huffington Post would be running sirens on its front page. I mean, they'd be completely freaked out. But if you're a Catholic who is not a Nancy Pelosi Catholic, which is not really a Catholic, and as somebody who went to Jesuit school and, and remembers enough of the dogma, to know some of this stuff pretty well, uh, they should deny, I mean, Nancy Pelosi should be denied communion. Full stop. Huge proportion, uh, a huge proponent, rather, of abortion rights, huge proponent of gay marriage, huge proponent of transgender uh, issues and all this. These are all in contravention of church doctrine, and not even as an individual. She contradicts them at the national political level. So she is a public figure that is contradicting explicit and longstanding church doctrine, but they don't. You know, she still gets to pretend that she's you know a believing Catholic, and uh, but you'll, you'll notice the Democrats know the difference. One of the favorite games of Democrat politicians is you know they have to say they're Christian so they can appeal to the still vast majority of America that is in fact Christian, but I mean they're not like. You know, because they, they got to be Democrats at the same time Yeah, with the whole abortion, gay marriage thing. They're not really I mean, you know, don't hold them to it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a more of a suggestion, that whole Christian thing for most Democrat politicians. So. All right. i I've I even had some like fun stuff that I want to talk you about. I just didn't get to it. I got a little carried away on some of these topics. Please download the show uh, on iTunes, Buck Sexton with America Now. Also, you can listen to the iHeart app anywhere you go. I'm out tomorrow. We have the wonderful Brian suits in for me here in LA. So you got tune in to listen to Brian. And uh, I'm going to enjoy my time in LA. I am planning to um, drink some herbal matcha latte stuff like they do in LA and lay by a pool and read old books on history. So it's going to be really exciting stuff for me here. Until next time, my friends, shields high.